You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. As I, as I look at our list that we were working from of all the topics that need to be retaught, I have, as I sit down this afternoon, and look through those again, there's really not any of those that I haven't covered in some portion, even the ones that I haven't taught very directly. I've spent extensive amounts of time on in other lessons. So uh, I want to talk to you about something that I, I, I find that I'm dealing with this on an ongoing basis and have and have for years, but it's a topic that uh, that I want us to just mention briefly tonight because it's, it will be helpful to us individually, and it will particularly be helpful to us as we minister to others. Uh, you, y'all have heard me, uh, you know, in the teaching of body, soul, and spirit. You know, and, and this is stuff that you know that we've we've heard we've heard for years. Uh, I, I first heard it from Edwin Wilson, who was Julia Lassiter's dad, uh, but. But uh, Edwin Wilson and Dale were good friends, so we heard it from Dale. When Dale came as interim pastor the first time, uh, when, well, the time when he came as interim pastor, I had this written on the, on the, on the board in, a, in the classroom where I taught upstairs, and he asked me, he said, who, who teaches this? And I said, well, I, I do. And he said, well, is, is it people receive it well? And uh, the difference in body, soul, and spirit? And I said, yeah, they real well. And he said, there's no limit to where this church can go then. I think he was a bit shocked because I think he was expecting to bring that teaching. I just don't think he expected any of it to be here. But it was because of Rip and Julia and Julia's dad. Rip was the superintendent, if y'all remember. And uh, her, her dad, Edwin Wilson, was a pastor for 40, 50 years. And, uh, and he, he taught this. And I'm not going to go into all the differences they are unique and very specific, but, but the, the teaching within that is that the salvation of the soul, I'm sorry, the salvation of the spirit is justification. This is that moment of salvation when your spirit's quickened, when because of the, because of the sin that had separated us from God, I had a body that was alive, I had a soul that was alive, but it says in Ephesians chapter 2, that, uh, that we were dead in those sins and trespasses. But when by the grace of God and, and, and salvation comes, this portion is quickened. And now I can function in the fullness of who God designed me to be. So this is that moment of salvation. And I liken it to when you first took your children to school and you signed some papers and you enrolled them, they became a student. And they had standing in that system as a student from that point forward. When we are saved, we have standing now as a child of God. That happened in an instant. That happened in a moment. The salvation of the soul in the scripture is sanctification. And I'll come back to that more in just a second. The salvation of the body is glorification. This this would be your pre-K through 12 years. That long process of, of being a student, growing as a student, maturing as a student, understanding as a student. That's what sanctification is to you and I. I am a child of God, but I grow as a child of God. I mature as a child of God. I gain understanding as a child of God. It's a long process. We hear it described. It's a long process of being saved. Now, again, I believe I believe glorification would 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 compare to that moment of graduation, death, because because this process of sanctification will never be over. It's going to go all the way to that, to that point. So I wanted to talk to you tonight about, about sanctification. 
some of what it looks like, some of what's in it. I'm not going to barely scratch the surface of all that, that God does to grow us in this, in this lifelong journey of sanctification. I did want to read uh, this definition of sanctification uh, from, the, from the New Testament word, and I'm not, I'm not going to try to pronounce it, but the definition of to sanctify uh, is to consecrate things to God, dedicate people to God, to separate them from profane things and dedicate them to God. To, it also means to purify, to cleanse externally, to, to purify internally by the renewing of the soul. So this, the being set aside, the being rendered separate, being purified is all captured in that word to sanctify. So I want us to look at six scriptures, and I'm, and I'm not going to try to expand on these very much because that's really not the point that I'm, that I'm trying to share tonight. If you want to look at these, John 17, 17. Again, this is Jesus praying. This is his prayer uh, after he's talked to them in John 14, 15, and 16, and, and they've made their way to the garden. And this is, this is a prayer. John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth. The word is truth. So we know, we understand that one of the ways that he's going to mature us, grow us, and change us in this long process of being a child of God is through truth. He's going to reveal truth to us, and that will never stop. Isn't that wonderful? We're not, there's not going to be some day when we, have, we can say, I got it all. And he's going, to keep, he's going to keep showing us because he has a desire to see us grow on and on and on. And again, when we, when we conceptually understand why does a Christian ne never get to retire, why does a Christian never get to slow down, it's because that only fits in, in the world where Christians do. Because I don't believe whether I'm 25 or 65 or 85, I will be any less wisdom than he made me to be. The permanence that doesn't change, the permanence that doesn't age, the permanence that doesn't diminish is not what I'm doing because I certainly may slow down. But the permanence in who I am in the kingdom is built around my identity, not my activity. Because if I think activity, then I, I may get tired and say I need to quit. And that mentality is very damaging within the kingdom. Because when I know who I am, and it doesn't matter what age I am, then God will deliver through that identity all the way to the end. And I should not even consider the possibility that I will be any less that wisdom or encouragement or, or warrior or whoever I happen to be when I'm older than I am when I'm younger. Why would it change? It's not going to change. As a matter of fact, in many situations, the older is producing greater and greater fruit. So we, our, our concepts get backwards when we think in terms of doing because we think we do more when we're younger and slow down as we get older. No, in the, in the terms of producing fruit out of an identity, it, it, the actual maturity flows the other way. I like that. I like knowing that, that as he sanctifies me, I will continue to grow and there's truth to be revealed and there's, and there's usage that doesn't depend on how able I am to be active. That sanctification is going to be led by the Holy Spirit. Is he ever going to stop leading us? No. <laughs> Teaching us truth? No. We've talked about it's not going to happen. No, and, and he's not going to ever let that truth not bear new fruit. Yeah, that revelation is a, is, is a powerful part. It I want to jump one verse and go to 19, John 17, 19. He says, and for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. So he's saying, because we, we know what he said earlier in John 14, I am the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. So he, he's saying, I'm, pure, I, I'm purified myself because it's, it's necessary for me to be that so they can discover the truth that they're about to discover. 
So, again, good snapshots. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. So, again, it, we, we read very much it's a purification process. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's his objective? How much does he want to sanctify you? Wholly, completely. It, it is, it, he won't ever stop in that, in that journey of, of sanctifying you, setting you aside, establishing you and purifying you. Hebrews 13, 12. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. So again, we understand that every bit of this, I am saved here because of the blood of Jesus. I'm saved here because of the blood of Jesus. I'm saved here because of the blood of Jesus. What he did was a complete work. There was nothing else. There was no parts. It was not fragmented. What he did established it all. Now, how I respond is I, I accept that for myself. And I let him then not only be the one who saved me by his blood, but the Lord who leads me by his life, that, that, that teaches me by his spirit, and that will someday, because of that blood, I will spend that, that time, unique time with him. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So he's saying, not only am I going to set you aside and purify you, he said, let, he said but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Establish this, because what's supposed to be happening? As, I am, as I'm sanctified, who will I look like? I will look like him. What's his purpose in the sanctification? Is that in everything, in everything changing, I look less like me and more like him. And, it, and again, it's, it's not a hard concept. And it says, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you. Man, we need that. Why are you hopeful? You know, for somebody to tell me, well, we're concerned about a diagnosis of cancer. Like, yeah, I'm concerned too, but, I, but until we hear those words, I will not believe it in it. I will not confess it. I am not I am not establishing that you know as as anything until that day comes. I'm not projecting it, I'm not accepting it, I'm not going willingly into it. It's like why because the hope in me. And, and I want to explain to you why I have that hope. That's what it's saying here. Be ready. At all at, at all times any of us who are believers, especially with the maturity that we have in this room, should be able to say why are you hopeful? I mean, do you not Apparently, you don't understand how bad things are. Nope. Full of hope. I know a real powerful God, and I even know a God who loves to resurrect things from the dead. Dead relationships, man, I, he's so, so good at restoring them and rebuilding them. He's remarkable at it. And we watch him, and, and we... Again, I, I, I tell you often about the hope that I have when somebody's finally willing to come into my office because I don't have any doubt in my mind what God's about to do. If, he, if, if they will provide the openness, he will provide the miracle. He does it over and over. And it says that the hope that is in you, we do it with meekness and we do it in fear because that's trained into us in the soul. So I want to talk to you tonight about three aspects of what he does and how he does it. And again, please just acknowledge with me, to teach sanctification, I can look at the scriptures and recognize that there is, there is a significant part 
of the scripture that's written about justification, about becoming a believer. But when you get into the writings of Paul, and he's already writing to churches, he's already writing to believers, what's he largely writing of? He's teaching this, and and there's volumes of it. And there's chapters and chapters of the topics and the things necessary to understand sanctification and all the scriptures that he includes within each of those epistles. I'm going to talk about three aspects of this that are, in in my situation, very relevant and very often misunderstood. The first one I want, to, I want to talk about is we, when someone is delivered or someone's transformed by whatever means it is, salvation, repentance, deliverance, healing, whatever it is, I, this is, I'm dropping you into the middle of a very long conversation. But I come back to this teaching of of spirit and soul. And I I only use these two. When someone repents, someone is saved, there is this moment in the soul where a decision is made. And that decision, that choice that's being made is that that I'm choosing. And that line represents faith. I am choosing by faith to ask someone to do something for me I could not do. I'm asking someone to deal with my sin that I couldn't deal with, to pay a price that I couldn't pay, in deliverance, to remove an identity I could not remove, in repentance, to to change my mind in a way I could not change it. I'm asking somebody by faith to do something on my behalf. Not simply believe they can, but by faith ask them and know with a certainty. And again, I think we can say with an absolute certainty that if I make that request, the answer is going to be yes. And again, you've heard me say this even recently. If, If a child comes to you and they've got a sticker in their finger, can you think of any situation, any odds one in a thousand, one in a hundred thousand, one in a million, that you could find a reason to say to that child, you know, I know it's hurting, but you're learning some good lessons from it. Let's just leave it in there for a few days. Like, man, the odds are so slim. I I have to roll it into this category of, nope, it's not going to happen. So what's the chances if we've identified something I need to hold out to God? What are the chances he's not going to take it? If it's hurting his child, what's the odds he's not going to take it? Well, I'm sure there's factors I'm missing, but the, but the factors still don't change the staggering yes in a, in, a, in a father's heart to deliver a child from that which is hurting them. So immediately we get to walk in the freedom of that yes, forward, upward, in, in an experience maybe we haven't, ever really had, but we know that in this process of sanctification, that God has to stabilize us in this this walk, and we recognize that there's going to be those moments, and we all know them, where with, even with all the victory that we're experiencing, the freedom we might, we might now know, there's going to come moments when we're going to think, remember soul, think and feel, we're going to think and have, a, and have a feeling that's connected to the old prior to this moment. You know, for years, I think I'm probably not the only one in here, but, but Satan would get me in some moment in my life and say, if you were really saved, if you were really saved, you wouldn't be thinking this, you wouldn't be feeling this, you wouldn't be acting this way. Part of sanctification is the learning 
by revelation that we cannot fight Satan here. You will not be successful fighting Satan in, the, in your mind and in your emotions if, if, alone. You can't do it. He will wear you out right there. He will, you know, he wants, he, he would love to get you in a conversation where you're ne negotiating whether or not this moment over here was real in your soul. Because most of the time when somebody experiences this old moment, an old thought or an old emotion, the conclusion is this over here, my request, it didn't work. That's where we lose them. And they'll start walking in the brokenness again. Happens a lot. And this is why we see people, and they would come and they would make decisions and they would be profound decisions in revival meetings and in church and they'd come to the altar and they would have, they would have a full encounter. They would, these would be real. There was something dynamic really happening, but they weren't prepared for this moment. The spiritual warfare that, that we learn within our soul and, and actually how as a part of the maturing process, the, the part of the sanctification of the soul is this realization of, of, of spiritual warfare and that I don't win spiritual war, warfare calling it soulish warfare. So one of the things that the Holy Spirit teaches me is if I'm going to battle him, I got to get out of my soul as fast as I can. It's a tough place to fight. We watch David struggle trying to win here. So again, this is why, this is just one of these lessons. This is what's going on as part of our story that, again, this is why we capture in this moment, we capture the time of this event, we capture the date of this event, this moment, we capture the place of this, and we capture the people that were around. Because if I'm going to be successful here, it's not going to be because I come back and say, God, would you, would you do it for me again? I, I can't write faith on this line. What I can write, though, on that line it's what we talk about often is I win. I learn that I win this battle by declarations of faith. I win because in this old moment, instead of entertaining Satan's voice, and I know it's his, if it's, if, if it's old, I know whose voice it is, then I can take the terms of this declaration, which is captured here, and, I, and again, I talk about this in very common terms, but I talk about the fact that if, if you have this declaration and you, and you say, you know, Satan comes at you in this moment, say, nope, on this date, this time, this place, in Randy's office or with a friend or in, in our home, I ask, he said yes, and Satan, I won't hear you. And you roll that declaration up and you swat him across the nose with it. That's, where, that's the way you fight him. You fight him with the details of these moments. You fight him with specificity, not the generality of emotions and the generality of thought. You win with the specifics. You make declarations to him. This is the way it is. I was eight years old sitting on the bed with my mom and Satan, you can tell me what you want, but I was saved in that moment because I asked him to save me. He said, yes, I'm not going to hear you. And he hasn't come back at me with that, with that thought or that question in years because he knows we're going to walk and it's going to happen again, but eventually we get out here and it's like, I'm not gaining ground there. I, got, I may have to do something else, but he will understand. He's not going to get you. I tell you what, we win. I love Paul's testimony because when he had time with King Agrippa or Felix or Festus or whoever it was, 
you know, he would tell them about the moment. I was on the, I was on the road to, to Damascus, King Agrippa. And this is what I saw. This is what I heard. This was the time of day. This is who it was. This is, these are the details of what happened. Paul has this declaration that he, would, that he would come back and say, this is what happened to me. We understand what, what this really is, this declaration of faith, is my testimony that this was true. And we understand from Revelations what defeated him, the power of what? Testimony. I want to tell you, that is a, that is a maturing piece in, in the believer's life to get us out of, out of this brokenness of thinking that I'm going, to, I'm going to win it and I'm not subject to this. I am subject to these moments. I'm subject to him being able to whisper something to me and say something old to me and me to, and me to say, man, I thought I was rid of that. If I still have it, it must not have worked over here. And I want to tell you, so many dynamic moments within the Christian life are lost because we're not ready for that moment. So what begins to happen? Is it now we have one of these and we have another one where there's victory and we have another one where there's victory and we have another one where there's victory? And so the overcoming, the spiritual warfare begins to mature. So now I can do that. I can battle on somebody else's behalf. I tell you what, we, you know, when we begin to understand the power of what God is doing here, how he's moving us through this, as one part, again, I'm telling you, I'm only going to touch three, but one part of the maturing process is him teaching me how to fight. And he has to teach me that the victories that come are when I learn how to I learned how to find the exit ramp quickly out of the soul and into the spirit because this is where my power is. This is where the revelations come. This is where the dynamic of the Christian life exists. I get to live it out here. But the origin of it is the spirit of God that lives within my spirit. So I have to be able to access that spirit. Those, the, early, the early chapters of some of Watchman Nee's books talk about, as believers, we need to be able to gain immediate access to get there into the spirit at any moment so that we can testify, so that we can teach, so that we can share. We need immediate access and know that it's immediately there without question so that I can function in those moments and not be encumbered and stumble over my, myself trying to figure out how to give an answer out of my soul. So there's one aspect. Any questions or comments about this before I go to the to the next piece of what's going on in this sanctification process. That's right. And so there's the, there is that declaration. We thank goodness. We we do have that. And I, and I love the picture of the fact that, that in the Old Testament, they built altars. They, there were altars to these moments of victory. So that they, it says, tell your children. Review with them these times when, when God did hear, and he did hear, and he did hear, and he did hear. Man, you don't have those. What are you going to tell them? If, you, if we don't have these testimonies to tell our children, wait a minute, I was here and I was alone and the Holy Spirit came and he spoke to me and he brought comfort. I was here and I was afraid and he brought strength. I was here and I was confused and he brought wisdom. And we began to tell our children these stories and we build in them off of the legacy that we have. We're gonna teach them something. We're gonna lead them somewhere. If we don't have this history and this legacy, we're going to leave them with something. Okay, I'm going to, move to, going to move to the next one. At the same time that we're overcoming Satan this way in, in, in maturity, this, this is him helping us overcome. He's also going to be Especially, I find this after deliverance. 
and I know it's true always, but deliverance has so much connected to it that says God is digging up something that we had long ago buried. We buried an old hurt. We buried an old moment. And so it's probably a poor metaphor for this, but I describe it in the terms of God. When somebody comes into my office and they're, and they're really interested in finding out what's going on in their life, and I really do wish y'all could just hang around and be a fly on the wall in that office because I can't tell you how much fun this is. I, I just can't tell you what it's like to watch, to watch people after 40 years, get this glimpse of freedom. It's like, and, and suddenly have an answer to, to 40 years of behavior that they could not make sense of. And all of a sudden, there's a, real, there's a realization that there's something going on that's, that, that it's not ambiguous anymore. It's not uncertain anymore. There's a beginning to this, a specific beginning to this. I'm dealing with one now, I'm dealing with two now, that are taking me into parameters I've never been. And it's interesting to let the Holy Spirit lead because it's like I'm, I'm so confused. I'm not, in on, I'm not on any charted territory. And I'm like, okay, God, you're, you're remarkable here because you're still moving us and I don't have a clue which, where we're going. But when he puts that plow in the ground, the moment they come into my office and there's real interest in, in resolving lifelong hurt, he's very willing to put that plow in the ground and, and turn up that original moment. That moment when something happened on a school bus or something happened in someone's house or someone it happened here or it happened here or someone said something, someone did something and that original hurt was there. He's going to turn that right up on the surface and it's not going to be the event. It's going to, it's going to be what Satan whispered to us in that moment. Because again, how does he attach permanence to a hurt? He, he attaches an identity to it. It's like, I used this illustration today or yesterday, I can't remember. You know, over on the playground, and even on, on this side of the high school, there's a tree planted that was planted after my sister passed away, after Janice passed away. So something was planted there in honor and in memory, but also... You, you realize that that tree is a reminder of something that was very painful. So if Satan can get something to grow in that wound, in that place of hurt, it will continue to grow. Just as God intends for us to grow in sanctification, Satan's going to hope we're going we're to grow in brokenness. But so what God does is he puts that plow on the ground, he turns that first hurt up. Now, the key in, in, in doing this is helping someone understand that first moment is not the end of a journey. Though some things may be over that have been around for a long time, that's the beginning of a journey. That plow is not coming out of the ground for the rest of your life. Because he knows that's not the only thing you buried. He knows why you have forgotten you buried. It's always interesting, you know, when I was a kid, to be, to be out playing and dig up a toy that was buried for years. It's like, man, I forgot about that. I'm, I'm, I still I'm dig from time to time these small cars out of the flower bed. Well, you know, what's, what, what happens in our life is we recognize that at, at, this, at this first point over here, it went, at the first thing turned up, there was a victory here. And again, what I showed you was combating Satan. 
this is God doing this. This isn't, this isn't attack. This is God knowing our history and knowing what we buried. And so we begin to, we begin to move away from that first moment of victory, that first moment of deliverance, that first moment of, of an identity of I am poor and I'm liberated from that. Or I am broken, I'm unwanted, I'm weak, whatever it happened to be, we're liberated from that moment. But what happens if the plow's gonna stay in the ground? He's gonna turn up something else. There's gonna be a second moment. Steve's not here, but I think I I might have told you, I get these texts from him, and all it will say, one of them said 610730. I knew exactly what it was. I got another one that said 6251253. I knew exactly what it was. Because Steve was delivered about two months ago from some stuff we had been stumped by for for 15, 16 years since I first started meeting with him. But when the Lord turned it up, it was like, whoa. And he was delivered from it. But since then, and I don't think he would be bothered because there's nothing secretive about this, but Shortly thereafter, Steve realized that that he had this internal standard, this internal measure that he wasn't wasn't measuring up to. Things that should have happened maybe didn't happen in the way that he wanted them to. And, And he beat himself up against that standard. Guess when he let that standard go? 610 is 7.30 in the evening. He was marking them down, second victory, third victory, fourth victory, capturing them time, date, place, just like we did here. Because what happens when when that old standard tries to come back? Nope. June 10th, 7.30, I asked, he said, yes, he took it away from me. Ongoing victories. And, And I can assure you there will be a third one. I have this conversation three or four times a week. Because, you know, because people believe in that moment of deliverance, it's everything, everything changed. Well, I want to tell you, it did. I can't tell you this and describe what it's like to have that veil lifted off. But just think about what happens here. Because in this first victory, we figured out in, in, in the way God shows us how to get rid of that old. What to, what to pray, how to simply ask. And believe in faith that what I asked him to do, he said yes. So if, if, that, if I believe with all the faith that, I, that this first one worked, he has no problem with showing me the next one because what will happen the next one? I know what to do. I know to come to him and say, thank you, Father, that you show me that I am. And I'm asking this moment to take it and know by faith that you did. And I write it down and say, thank you, God, because, because why would he not? If he's going to plow it up, if he's going to turn it, because he won't turn it up until he knows you're ready to deal with it. He's not going to turn it up to hurt you. He's going to turn it up to set you free. You know, I use this illustration. It's not a very good one, but kind of the only problem I've got here. There's a piece of chisel right there. Hitting the chisel with a hammer, a piece of it broke off, and that's where it went. And shot in there like a bullet. And it's like, we put, a, we put a Band-Aid over it. I don't think it even bled much. And just went back to work. Now, if, if that ever got to hurting me, if there was ever a reason, it'd have to be cut out. There's something in there that doesn't belong. There's something buried in there. Well, just think how many situations in our life, instead of actually overcoming them, we coped with them and we buried them. And he knows it. He knows the measure of hurt that we're in the, and how we've adjusted our life around that hurt. If that thing still hurt, I would make real sure I didn't bump it. Well, God knows that these things we buried still have the potential of hurting us, so he doesn't want them to be coped with anymore. He'll turn them up so that they can be overcome. So that I can, I can as Steve did here, 
June 25th at 12.53 in, in the afternoon. I asked, he said yes, and I was liberated from something else he showed me. The veil is gone. I now have a lens where I can actually see things. And if, 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 if I experience this one, how many do you think of these are going to be? A life of them. Significant life of them. Because in sanctification, the purification process that, I'm, that I read earlier in the definition of him turning up buried stuff is going to be an ongoing journey. But it's not so it will hurt us. It will be the reminder every time of his power, every time of his goodness, every time of his love, every time of his care for us. Because I, you know we may know things that have gone on with our kids, but we don't bring them up. But if there's a point where it needs to be brought up, even as parents, we'll do the same thing. So part of what happens in our maturing process, growing process, is not stuff that Satan's doing. We talked about that, how we win. But it's also God that's going to be exposing things in our life that he knows are there. And he does it so that there will be victory and victory. The, the victory over it's already come. Jesus has provided the victory. All that's happening is that we're appropriating that victory to these moments as he exposes them. And I want to tell you, it, it creates a very fascinating life to recognize if I will live open, ready to see, ready to, to receive, how fast he can plow. You know, Danny, I, you know, just some of the things you did a few years ago to recognize you needed to go ask forgiveness for something. Mm-hmm. And the more of turned up, Absolutely. Everything that, that we, he knows is hurting us or, or is binding us, he wants it gone. So, yeah, you're right, the outcome of everyone, because in this first moment, I'll ask him, one of the questions that I ask him in this prayer, is, are you willing to receive the freedom he's offering you? in the place of the bondage that you were carrying. Because every one of them, the outcome is freedom. And we get to walk and run faster and jump and, and live this remarkable life in real freedom. Because I, that stuff that I was buried that I hope nobody ever found out about, he turned up in a way that I could, I could get rid of it. So it never, it can't define me again. Okay, any questions or comments about this second piece? Yeah, Donna. Because, I mean, it, it, the explanation is if we don't get this root out of here, it'll damage the new growth. But, you know, as, as Teresa pointed out, and, and I, I'd forgotten that she had brought this up once before, but I just love in that movie that this poison root, when and she's holding the, the, the flower, the lily of the valley, when you mix them, it brings great healing. When we expose these broke, the broken moments, these roots that have been buried for a long time, and it gets exposed and, and tied to the fills the nectar of the lily of the valley, it brings great healing. Just it just kind of graphically shows it. Very quickly, the, the third thing that happens inside this sanctification process that we need to that it's just it's just an, an acknowledgement really of what we already know, but. Uh, one of the greatest occurrences within, within the sanctification process, that piece of paper suddenly is not white anymore. Let me write it down here. One of the leading things that happens in sanctification is that he has a great need to retrain our minds and our hearts. I, I, I really love to, I, I use the illustration of Nehemiah a lot because 
In the story of Nehemiah, the worship center was already restored. Ezra had already been there. The temple was restored. And and I connect that temple and that teaching with the spirit that we're really seeing a picture of someone who's saved. That the spirit, the worship center, the connection with God has been restored. And but it but and though the temple is restored, it says about the city and about the walls and the gates of Jerusalem that they were in ruin. And it says about Israel itself, the nation, that it was dry and barren, producing nothing. I watched that be the story of so many Christian lives. Saved, yes. Fruitful, no. Well, again, I love the story because, again, the word Nehemiah means the comforter. Such a good picture. So when it says here that the comforter was sent by the king to rebuild the walls and the streets and the gates of Jerusalem. So if I equate the temple with the spirit, I, I equate Jerusalem with the soul. Because the Holy Spirit comes back to rebuild how our mind thinks and rebuild how, what our hearts feel. He has to retrain us because I've had years, you know, and the other illustration, this, I love the illustration of this, is, is Israel coming out of Egypt. What had their minds known for 400 years? Been slaves. Their minds thought as slaves. So when, when any situation would come up, they had a slave's mentality in dealing with it. So God knew that when they came out of Egypt, he couldn't take them straight to Canaan, which was an 11-day journey. He couldn't take them there because there was an enemy in the way. And with the mindset that they had, if I come out of Egypt and turn and, and come into war, what will be the mindset? What will they want to do? We heard it over and over. Go back. So he wouldn't let them go that way because he needed for the next 18 months to retrain their minds because who had been feeding them over there in Egypt? Who provided the food? Pharaoh did. Pharaoh was the benefactor. Yeah, he was the one that made them work. He made them slaves, kept them slaves. Wouldn't let them worship. But it was also him who was bringing the food around. So not only was he the taskmaster, he was the benefactor. So why did God need to bring him into the wilderness so that he could feed them for 18 months? So that they would begin to trust him for the provision of the day. Trust him for all that they needed. Trust him in his word that he could protect them, that he could keep them warm, keep them safe, keep them, you know, keep them out of trouble. So that, so that their, the, the 18 months, their mindset could begin to change away from a slave to that of someone who was free, so that when they came to the opportunity of stepping into Canaan, there could be a yes there. There wasn't a yes there, but there was, I mean, this was the purpose. Bring them to the point to where they're not considering going into, into Canaan from a slave, because I mean, everything he showed them. You know, when they came to the bitter waters of Merah and they didn't have anything to drink, what did they want to do? Go home. At least over here we had water. And what did God tell him, tell Moses to do? You see that tree? Go get it. Throw it in the water. What did he show them? Why do you come, what do you, where do you go in bitter times in your life? You go to the cross. I tell you, it's tough to be bitter when you're standing at the foot of the cross. Bitterness won't exist at the foot of that cross because If anybody had the right to be bitter, there he is. Now, where does he now live? In me. He did that. 
with no bitterness. He leveled the ground under that cross. It's going to take something, that bitterness there. Over and over, he shows them these pictures. Over and over, and he takes them to these places. When they were, when they were thirsty and, and, and afraid, they wanted to go back. What did God tell Moses to do? Strike the rock. Why? So that they would learn out of the rock comes the living water. So we don't even have to doubt that one. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Very kind of God to explain that symbolism back there. That rock that was struck was Jesus. I mean, he's teaching them, training them, intense training for 18 months. He showed them, you, you complain, you, you may get it and, it, and that stuff's going to, be bitter in your mouth. It's going to melt and do, do you no good. Trust the provision I give you. 18 months he retrained them. We have to know that in sanctification, he's retraining our minds because we're very accustomed to standing at X, whatever X is, whatever the situation is in front of us. And my old thinking by its very nature will take me to Y. A challenge in front of me, I'll go to why. An opportunity, I'll go to why. Because that's where my mind's always gone. It's gone to this kind of language. It's gone to this kind of anger. It's gone to this kind of frustration. It's gone to this kind of fear. And every time we encounter it, the natural thing we do is to go to why. And God's saying, I don't want you to go to why. So the Holy Spirit will retrain us to go from X to Z. We are in this constant retraining process. And again, it will last a lifetime. It's remarkable so that, and I had someone come in my office the other day and say, well, it, 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 it powerfully works. Y'all want to talk to Aaron on FaceTime? Because what happened, she said, when this happened, she said, I caught myself. She said, I didn't go here. And I, she said, I, I went to Z. That's the way I handled it. She said, but the problem was, emotionally, after that, I went there. And I said, yeah, isn't it wonderful? She looked at me with the oddity that I get pretty often in my office. I said, isn't it wonderful? And she said, what's wonderful about it? I ended up at the same place. And I said, yeah, but the journey was so different. Because all it says is, is right now that's where you went. But it won't be long, especially when you begin to have the, the, the mind of Christ, the eyes that you get to see with, then you'll realize I went here and I didn't go there. But I count that as a real victory over just going here. Sure, she headed there, but, she, but you know we might get all the way there. You're right, and and then catch it. The Holy Spirit may may bring it in that moment because we're, we we use many methods to train our children, and I and if we'd ever realize that God uses many methods to retrain this thinking, retrain our hearts. I I, I could share dozens and dozens of these in my own life. But one of these that I, I wish people would get is that one of the leading steps from whatever happens in, in, in our lives, the step to why is the step where we go, when something happens, we step to why, which is self-examination. We review us. What did I do? What did I do wrong? What could I have done differently? And we spend a tremendous amount of time in that process of self-examination. Now, I agree. There's, there ought to be a moment there when it says, God, if I did something, show me. So I can learn right here. 
learn from what I did. But, but this step is so contrary to the truth that God says, yeah, but I died to, to cut those, to sever that off of you. And it wasn't just a one-time thing. I didn't just die to sever something that happened behind you 10 years ago. I died to sever something that happened in your life 10 minutes ago. That's that freedom that we learned to live in. So to begin to recognize that instead of going here for self-examination, I recognize that it might just be the actions of another person, but I also may realize the reason I went here was to get my eyes off, because if I'm going to focus there, it's like it would, you know, for those of you who hunt, if what you're wanting to shoot is over here, it's going to be very difficult to shoot it. If you if you got somehow you, you're contorted enough to look through that scope and look back at yourself, I would encourage you not to pull the trigger. You see, that self-examination causes us to take our eyes off the enemy. And very often, he's got that whispering voice. See what you did? See what you did? See what you did? And we, and we, and we start this, man, I, I, I deal with this so often. That's why this is such a powerful one. And, and, and my story is, is how many people I come in and how many years I'm, I'm, re, I'm meaning really years that they've spent a tremendous amount of self-examination trying to figure out what's going on. And I tell them, no, we're, 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 lift, we're lifting the weapon and we, got, and we got one target. I know his name. And we're, we're, all we're doing now is making sure that everything is prepared before we pull that trigger because we're fixing to knock him off his feet. I want them to know those people in your life that you think hurt you, which is where part of this goes, blame. It's a very natural step to go to why, blame. Very natural step to go to why, regret. Very natural step to go to why, guilt. Shame, very natural steps. We go there, it's like, nope. Raise the weapon. Zero in and pull the trigger and realize that he's already defeated. This is, a, this is an amazing process. This is sanctification and in, in, in at least a big part of what Paul was doing is in all the teaching to these churches who had had minds. Think of the letter to, to, the, to the Romans. They were, they were about half Jews who were coming in from the arrogance of their former religion and Greeks who were bringing in, and Gentiles, I mean, who were bringing in the mysticism of other things and Paul is addressing them in, in, this, in this one letter. And you realize, what's he doing? What's he teaching? He's teaching them because he's realizing... There's brokenness in the mind here. There's brokenness in the mind here. All those, those letters are the retraining to tell them who they really are, who God really is. It's sanctification. It's the, it's the retraining of the mind, the retraining of our hearts so that, so that we're not only knowing we're saved and someday going to heaven. What's he actually doing? He's forming his image in me. Every aspect of my life that now lives in the freedom has an opportunity to be the reflection of him and not the brokenness of my former story. He's going to keep turning this stuff up because he's moving us from glory to glory to glory. So there's three pieces of how he moves us into this reality of sanctification. Some of it's battle. Some of it's taking back former ground. Some of it is training. And it's all wonderful. 
especially when we live open to the fact that we know he's doing it and just saying, God, here I am. You show me what you need to show me. Bring to the surface what you need to bring. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.